Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and with me, as always, is President's Day sales, Zach Mabry. Zach, how are you, my friend? Well, I guess I'm I'm 20% off. That's right, but uh, still yeah. uh, still 100% as great. Oh, sure. All the disc, uh, all the discount, but all of the, I don't know. Anyway, tweet us at Roman Circus Pod. I'm at Hey, it's Matt Baker. Zach is at Zach Mabry. Z A C Mabry. Email us podcast at romancircusblog.com. You can find us on iTunes. Please rate and review us if you get a chance. You can also find us on Podbean, Stitcher, and Google Play. We are also on Patreon now at patreon.com/romancircuspod. Exciting yes. times. And, you know, be generous. No no gift is too large. <laughs> That's the motto of the Roman Circus Podcast Patreon account. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach, what's what's been going on? you have any personal news? you have anything going on in your life you want to share? The people want to know. Well, are you asking if, like, my that mole came back or something? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no, I'm just, you know, just uh, living that life, as as they say. Yes, they do say that. I'm glad you're living that. Uh, okay, well then, if there's nothing going on in your life, is there anything going on in the news, whether it's local, national, global, universal? I think gal- the biggest gal- thing is that Senator Bernard Sanders is back in the. He's he's announced he's running for president again. He is back. Um, you know, being having never been a, a Democrat before. Um, to me, I feel sort of, uh, outside of, of the entire fight of who's going to be their candidate, but I've noticed that most, the non-Bernie Sanders Democrats are pretty nasty to the Bernie Sanders Democrats. They do appear to be that way. Yeah. I mean, they treat them with like so much suspicion and it, it's bizarre to me, to be honest. Yeah. I think, uh, everyone should be treated with suspicion when they're hawking a candidate for the presidency yeah i mean it, just in case he gets in i've i've been you know paying the minimum on my student loan um ever <laughs> yeah. since that became a, an actual issue being <laughs> thrown around i was like oh hey yeah um, I, I i don't plan on having health insurance for the next few years just in case i don't want to like waste that money just in case we get it all for free eventually oh yeah Oh yeah, I think the the logic fits. It doesn't sound like it's smart, but I think the logic is there. Yeah, no, it, it's funny though because everyone I know that is a Bernie Sanders Democrat is extremely nice, and it may I mean that could just be the ones I've happened to interact with. But they people, I mean, people blame them for for just everything. I mean, you'd think that like absent Bernie Sanders, the Democrats would have the White House. They'd have you know ninety four senators. <laughs> and, and you know, three hundred representatives, right? And it, you know, I don't really think that that's the case. If it, it wasn't it for seems... that seventy-year-old from Vermont getting in our way, Zach. Well, yeah, and I mean, if they're complaining because so many of his supporters didn't end up showing up at the polls and vote for Hillary, maybe they shouldn't be so mean to them. I mean, I don't know. You could try that approach. I mean, I don't know. I mean, even. Even the the sort of respectable neocon, um, never Trump people, 
and I say respectable, like, and that's their term. I don't think of these people as respectable. They were nicer <laughs> to the Trump voters than than Democrats are to Bernie Sanders voters. Yeah. You know what? Well, just I think twenty twenty is going to be different. We're all going to come together and in peace and harmony and it'll be it'll be just lovely yeah i thought this election season would never start thankfully thankfully Mm -hmm. (laughs) where it's it's in full swing february of 2019 thankfully it is here all right uh yeah that's a that's a relevant thing that's happening i don't know i don't i don't know if there's anything else going on It, uh, it was president's day so we we didn't do anything monday Right. Yeah, I like the in honor the, of the president. Yeah, except if you work in hospitality, as I did for years, when we just didn't get any day off. But that's another story. Uh, yeah, in in honor of President's Day, I, I didn't fulfill any of my promises, and then called it an emergency. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For sure. Well, we're very excited. We have a an interview today with Professor Massimo Pajoli. And if you are on Twitter and you're in the Catholic Twitter sphere, you most likely know him. And if you are not, uh, then we are going to introduce him to you. He's he's uh, he, okay. So if we're being quite honest, he says things that I you know I agree with. He says things that I I take issue with at times. But I, that happens with a lot of people, and that doesn't stop us from wanting to have people on or even liking people. Yeah, I mean, I would say on on a, a large number of issues, I don't necessarily agree with Professor Fajoli, but on this one, I, I thought there was common ground, and so therefore figured it would be fun to have him on the show and valuable for the listeners, since you know it, it's kind of a topic that I think you know I mostly agree with, or I, I agree with a certain amount of what he has to say on this topic more so than really any other one, and so yeah. I thought it was a good opportunity. Maybe we can have him back another time to debate something where we all disagree. Yeah, that would be interesting. I, I don't know. I But either way, the, we can say this having recorded the interview already. He was very lovely, very nice with his time, and it was I, I really enjoyed it. So we're going we're gonna to get to the interview here. Do you have anything else to say before we smash cut to an interview? Um, nope. Uh, you know, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the interview. All right, Zach, we are very happy to have our next guest on the podcast. He is a professor of theology and religious studies at Villanova University. He is a columnist for LaCroix International, which thankfully is not a sparkling water magazine. He is a contributing writer to Commonweal Magazine, and he was lovingly referred to by the Associated Press as a relatively liberal theologian. He is a master of Twitter and a king of all things gelato. It is Dr. Massimo Fagioli. Doctor, professor, thank you for coming on the Roman Circus podcast. Pleasure to have you. Thank you, and thank you for the great introduction. Oh, well, you're a man of many talents and a man of many things. We had to try and smack them all in there. Okay. <laughs> um, just a little background on you. Like we said, you're a professor at... Villanova University. Uh, about how long have you been teaching and been in the university system? So I arrived in the American university system in 2008. Okay. Uh, so this is my 11th year. But I was a, an adjunct professor um, 
in Italy uh, since 2003. So, okay. yeah. Okay. That's Brilliant. exciting. Actually, I started college in 2008. So we both, you know, we both entered the uh, the American university system right then in 2008. <laughs> But I'm much older. That's what you're saying. Perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> Only by age, not by youthful spirit. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> yeah. And, and so on Twitter, um, you're usually having a better time than most people. I've always thought because you you'll have ways of kind of joking at people who who maybe disagree with you or agree with you, but you kind of have a fun spin on it. Um, is that like an acquired skill or you know something that you're aware of? I try to humor things a little bit. Uh, I believe that uh, I mean having a sense of humor is. A very important spiritual uh, gift, spiritual quality, and I believe that Catholic Twitter needs a little bit of that. Uh, I certainly need that, so I I try to I mean, not take myself too seriously and not to take everything too seriously. Uh, well, what Zach and I talk about, we appreciate is. Uh, sometimes you'll say things that'll rile people up, but if anybody not from the Catholic community tries to pick at you, everybody from the Catholic community jumps to your defense. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, not well, not everybody, but right. you know, like uh, it's it's we we like to stick to our own for the most part, so we have each other's back on occasion. Sure. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no, uh, not everyone. We can, no, no one can please everyone on that, of course, that yeah, yeah. silly website. Yeah. We asked to have you on because you tweeted out or retweeted a, a piece from so, Sojo.net by Tom Roberts about the rise of money on the right wing in the Catholic Church. It's called The title of the piece is The Rise of the Catholic Right how right-wing billionaires are attempting a hostile takeover of the U.S. Catholic Church. And um, we think this is a pretty important discussion because we always have to be on the lookout for anybody trying to curry favor within the church and trying to work their way up through the use of money. Uh, I, Yeah, what were your... Initially, what drew you to the piece or the idea? Because I assume this is something you're kind of always on the lookout for in general. Sure. So I tweeted that piece, but I actually uh, wrote about the issue myself um, a few times for Commonwealth and for uh, uh, Croix International, not mm -hmm. as an investigative reporter, but as someone who has studied since the 1990s, um, the Catholic Church and the career systems in the Catholic Church since the Middle Ages mm -hmm. and the issue of power in the Catholic Church. So I believe it's it's a very important issue because uh, now money tends to dominate everything. And so Absolutely. what I see happening in this country especially is the rise of a certain kind of money with ideological strings attached that are more evident uh, than liberal money. And okay. it is different channels. So it's the same problem. I mean, 
even liberal or progressive money uh, tries to have an influence on, uh, on, uh, on the Catholic Church, the difference, in my opinion, is that now conservative uh, Catholic money has a very clear agenda which mm-hmm. you don't find on the other side of the spectrum because uh, the liberal progressive side uh, doesn't have an, a narrative and, and an agenda that is as clear as evident as the other side. So uh, I'm not saying that it is more dangerous. I, I, I'm saying that it is rising on that particular si- um, aisle. And uh, so there is the other side, which is money coming through governments, the states, or international agencies. But this is, uh, it is channeled more institutionally through the Vatican, through the bishop conferences, through organizations, while conservative money seems to me uh, is more aggressive, is, is, is more um, entrepreneurial mm-hmm. in finding ways to, to, to have influence. That's why I believe that is a particular issue right now, especially in the United States. Okay. Um, that makes sense because when I when I was reading the piece, there's always, and you probably know this, kind of the you know back and forth between you know the left and the right, or you know conservative or progressive Catholics, and you really see it everywhere, but you can't escape it. And some of it, you know, it's um, it's just sort of partisan. I mean, it's just kind of you know. Uh, National Catholic Reporter versus EWTN and, you know, those types of of long-standing divisions. But there was something about this issue that struck me as, as actually very relevant and sort of outside of the, the normal back-and-forth arguments. Um, kind of like you said, particularly with the agenda, because that's where the... Comments we got when we first said we were going to do an episode about this were saying, well, you know, the other side has, you know, Georgetown and, you know, all these large institutions. But it does make sense, like you said, that there isn't this firm agenda of these are, this is exactly what we want or where we want to see things go um, on the progressive side, whereas perhaps on, on the right wing side, there is a bit more of a, a clear agenda of we want X, Y, and Z. And here's how we're going to push for those things with, with finances. So you so you're right. So everything right now is perceived as um, we do this, but you do this. So I mean mm-hmm. everything. I believe it's there's a difference here because in my in my opinion, for what I see from very rich churches I'm familiar with, especially the church in Germany, which, which is very rich because of the Concordat. There is the so-called uh, church tax that gives a few billion euros every year to to the Catholic Church in Germany. So th- that is a huge amount of money. The difference is that it is given to the institutional Catholic Church which means basically through the bishops. And it is used for, for institutional purposes that have never been really free to impose or accept 
an ideological uh, agenda of a certain kind. I'll, I'll give one example. So, I mean, the Catholic Church in Germany has always been very rich. I mean, since 1930s, when the Concordat has been signed, in some delicate moments, when that kind of government money or taxpayers' money could have been used for liberal progressive purposes, there was always an intervention of the Vatican who, who said, no, you cannot use, even if you're rich and you could, do a, you could afford to do that, you cannot do that. And so one example was late 90s when the German church wanted to have a different approach to the pastoral care of women seeking abortions. The Vatican issued a very clear stop, and that never happened, even in a very powerful church, theologically and financially. My impression right now in the United States is that also because of the general weakening of the loyalties to the institutional church, of the collapse of the authority of the bishops, now it is much easier to get away with uh, with agendas that are uh, bypassing or sometimes opposing frontally the teaching of the Catholic Church on some moral issues, for example, on sexuality, but also on the environment. Right now, you see the rise of that money on that side that is being uh, very... Uh, courageous or bold or I would say sometimes reckless in ignoring completely what is the official teaching of the church on the environment for example Mm -hmm. and sponsoring initiatives uh, schools or conferences or that are exactly the opposite of what is the magisterium of 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 the church you could say, well, that happened before on, uh, on uh, publications advocated uh, that advocated uh, sexual uh, teaching on sexual morality. Yes, but back then there was always a sanction or some kind of uh, clear signal coming from the institution, bishops or the Vatican, that you're out of line. Right now, the church has adopted a more a different approach to to the diversity of opinions in, in the Catholic Church, and there are some who are taking more advantage of that, it seems to me, while the liberal progressive is still more institutional, is still more uh, considerate in thinking about strategies, about how to uh, shape a certain narrative, a certain teaching. So here I, I am often furious about the recklessness of I mean, how this money is used, but on the other side, I admire their, uh, their spirit because they have seen an opening and mm-hmm. they are clearly using that opening in ways that would have been unthinkable a few years ago because a penalty would have been issued by the bishops 
or the Vatican. This is something that doesn't happen anymore for many reasons. I believe that there is a real danger uh, anyway because uh, and s- making things possible in the church only if you have the money, it's not a good criterion to uh, imagine where the church should go. Uh, this is at one national level, but also internationally, because it's a way of, of enslaving poor churches. That has always happened in some sense. But if you have, right now, money dominating rich churches, it's it's going to happen that that rich money will find a way to uh, buy the audience or the obedience in other churches in other continents. And this is really against what uh, the Catholic Church should be about, I, I think. So, yeah, that's what they this piece said. The, one of the quotes was, they are challenging the legitimacy of existing structures of authority and trying to fill that space with their own agenda and their own people. Uh, yeah, so it's... Do you think this is a product of... Americanism, not Catholicism, like us caring about like the the country over the church, not saying not to care about the country, obviously, but like um, trying to be a more of a bull in a china shop type thing where you can just go in and kind of create chaos for your own for your own ends well i I don't know I mean certainly there are many specificities to the Catholic Church in this country. It's a church that um, witnesses the incredible vitality of Catholics in, in this country and the entrepreneurial spirit of Catholics in, mm-hmm. in, from a small minority to the uh, largest single uh, church. It's also a church that operates in the so-called market of churches and of religions. Mm-hmm which means that um, it puts a certain value on success on those who can broaden their share of the market and so on. It relies more on the private initiative. And this is not something liberal conservative, but there are many, many other churches in Europe, in Latin America, especially they have relied historically on a certain church-state relationship, while other continents like Africa, Asia, they come from the colonial experience. And so the U.S. has, uh, the, uh, the U.S. Catholic Church is the fruit of a completely different model. It's not the European model, and it's not the colonial model, small minority that is sponsored by a colony so it's a unique model that is extremely vital. Uh, I believe that there has been for a, a long time um, more caution by American Catholics because they knew that American Catholicism was a special kind of animal that was unique. It seems to me that what, what happened in these last 30 years, more or less, is that a certain uh, Americanism or Americanization of, of Catholicism uh, has prevailed on the previous uh, wisdom of saying we should do things our way we, without standing out too much. 
without capturing the the attention too much of the Vatican. Of so we should things our way, but we don't want to impose our model as the model for the universal church. In these last couple of decades, I believe there has been a certain instinct to Americanize Catholicism worldwide. I refer here to certain interpretations of John Paul II in the United States, of Pope Benedict in the United States. The problem is that this project has been interrupted, I believe, by the election of an Argentinian Jesuit, which basically meant an interruption in, in, in the Americanization project of global Catholicism. And um, that, that hasn't scared those who thought that the American model were, was the most successful. And so that relies on a very visible intellectual vit- uh, vitality on the right side of the spectrum, but also on the ability to develop very I mean, strategic connections with Catholics uh, that have a certain, not just a certain I mean, bank account, but also a certain intentionality. And admire that in terms of their strategy. I just believe it is very dangerous for the, for the Catholic Church. Right. I mean, what comes to mind with what you're saying is, you know, I think back to last summer when it, you know, every news story about the church was negative. And what I noticed was this big push that said, okay, don't give money to your diocese. Don't give money to your parish where it's, you know, the funds are, at, you know, ultimately directed under the bishop's discretion. But give money to, you know, this apostolate run by lay people over here or this group over here because they're, they're really Catholic. And you can't trust your bishop. Um I thought that that was one of the first things that clued me in that the reaction this summer was very toxic, or last summer, of course, was was that push of basically you can't, don't give the money to the church, give the money to this group or that group. Um, and I think you see that pretty, um, I mean, I guess in a sense that's almost very American in the stance of, you know, we don't want the official structure or the state, if you will, to... To do everything, we're going to do all this through private enterprise so that we, or somebody, has control. Um, but it did seem like this big push to, to direct your tithing outside the church, but to you know various groups that, like you said, will have their own agenda. Sure. I mean, this is what, what happens. I mean, uh, asking Catholics not to give money to the church, uh, the bishops, but to some groups, it, it is typical of the United States because in most countries where the churches have resources, that money g- g- comes through uh, uh, tax returns mm-hmm. every year. So there's there's no way of uh, saying my money has to go to this initiative and not to, to, to the US bishops. So here, the problem is that once you say we don't acknowledge the legitimacy of the bishops in handling our money, uh, you can do that, but at least I, I, I would expect that you at least acknowledge the legitimacy of the, of the bishop of Rome, of the Pope. 
the problem was not the, the criticism of the local bishop, which is something that is typical of the last 18 centuries, if you want. But mm-hmm. the, the radical delegitimization of the entire hierarchical structure. So here, I believe this is the dangerous side of Americanism, which sometimes uh, thinks that uh, there is an American way of running the church that um, is necessarily better than the institutional way is uh, a free market understanding of the Catholic Church, which is a little bit technocratic, and this is a a problem both on the right and and on the left. But what happened last last year, last summer especially, was very dangerous because you have to to decide at some point if you care for the apostolicity of the Catholic Church or not. So if the successors of the, of the, the apostles that are the, uh, the bishops, uh, they matter something for your understanding of the Catholic Church. So you have every right to criticize what they say or what they do. I believe we went beyond that point and using the money to make that case was... was uh, was typical of, of, of a certain temptation of steering the Catholic Church in a certain direction, not uh, not, not primarily with the power of, of ideas or arguments, but we can fund this. If you let us say this, or if you don't say this, we have this amount of money. Uh, I, it, it, this is, I believe... Uh, dangerous because it distorts fundamentally one of the things that the church has fought for centuries, which is the freedom of the Catholic Church. So, mm-hmm. I believe Napoleon was a big threat. I believe Hitler was a big threat. Stalin was a big threat. I believe that the threat of money is more subtle, is more more insidious because uh, it's it wants to appear non-ideological, neutral, uh, which is exactly what uh, the devil would do. Uh, tell you, no, no, don't worry. You, 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 you can do whatever you want as long as you, you accept this offer. So here, I believe individually those Catholics who give money are good Catholics. I'm not questioning their, uh, their individual faith. Sure, sure. I'm just saying there is a certain ignorance of what history tells us about the threats against the freedom of the church, which we should remember in these last few centuries has been guaranteed by a certain autonomy of the Bishop of Rome, of of the papacy. Mm -hmm. You may not know that, but whenever you, you undermine the authority of the papacy, you have undermined the freedom of the church in the long run. This is why last summer was particularly disturbing uh, to, to me and to many of us, I think. Yeah, well, there also, I guess, creates probably a false hope within some of this for the idea of if I'm giving my money, I will have a bigger seat at the table or a bigger say when really 
nothing is going to change the authority structure of the church, right? So it gives, in some level, it gives people false hope that they'll be able to do something, and when those changes that they want aren't necessarily implemented, that can create more anger and division between the certain sides, right? It can lead, something as simple as giving a handful of money can kind of create a ripple effect and and see its way on through the church in ways that were unintended. Well, sure. Also because uh, that is just one step before being able or trying to influence the selection of the future bishops or future cardinals, mm-hmm. right. which is a canonical crime, uh, which is something that has happened for a long time in the Catholic Church. So we are dealing now with the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the abuse crisis, which is particularly horrendous. But I think uh, we shouldn't think that that kind of corruption is totally behind us. I believe we should uh, still care for the freedom of the Catholic Church, which means being free to choose a pastor uh, for his spiritual qualities, for his wisdom, for his faith, uh, and not because he's friend or, he, or, or because he's an enemy of some kind of deep-pocketed uh, group. This is something that um, is now more urgent because in these last few centuries, the, pol- the external political influence on the Catholic Church came through the nation-state, basically, and, and the empire, which was mm-hmm. much more visible, much more uh, tangible, I- I- ideologically, but also politically. The, it, the influence of, uh, of money is much more difficult to identify, much more difficult to call out and to control. That's, I believe this is going to be a challenge for us for a long time. It's not just Amer- it's America now, but one could guess what might happen in the, in the, in the, the Catholic Church in China, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's or in in countries where uh, the Catholic Church is now rising demographically. Uh, there, if rich Catholics see that in America things start to work in a certain way, I'm not sure they will be reluctant to do the same in their own country. Okay. Well, and that makes sense. A lot yeah. of people I don't think are aware that the. Um, you know the the empire involvement in the um, selection of the papacy isn't some ancient fact. I think it was there was a a veto or something that the the emperor could technically still exercise until Pope Saint Pius the tenth, nineteen o three. Yes, yeah. So we're not very far out from there being those explicit uh, you know interactions, and and that's where I, I think I saw you on Twitter mention you know. Do we start having super PACs, you know, the, the, the Cardinal Seurat super PAC for the next conclave? Or, um, and you, I mean, you even see people talking about, you know, who should be the next pope. And it, it does, it, it definitely oversteps the mark. And it, it does threaten, like you said, the freedom of the church. Um, Matt and I are both Latin Mass guys. 
But after every low mass, there's a prayer specifically for the freedom of the church. And sometimes the history of that is lost at how much of a battle that's been, you know, for the church against certain secular groups or, or what have you to essentially be able to operate freely and, and not have undue influence from outside parties. And so, I, you know, seeing it in that context, I think, is what piqued my interest is that, you know, at some point, is the church impaired in its its freedom and its sovereignty to fulfill its mission and, you know, act on its own accord? And it, it would make sense that if you had all of this money, I mean, there's always these practical considerations you have to make since the church is a, you know, still an earthly entity. The problem is, is, is that the Catholic Church has a long experience in dealing with the influence of, of a political power, and it has developed a certain set of instruments to control that, a concordats, a, a certain kind of uh, establishment or I mean, regime of relationship, which is shaped by legal documents, mostly, or, or by political arrangements. This, we don't have anything like that f to protect the freedom of the church from money. So there is no concordat that you, you, you can sign with, with uh, the capitalistic uh, headquarter of, of, uh, of uh, the Catholic donors. There's, there's no such instrument. So the, it is much less subject to the transparency and to uh, be aware of, of who you are fighting against. Because when it was Napoleon, when it was the French uh, secularist state or Italian fascism, it was very clear that there, uh, that there was an agreement and that there, were, uh, the, uh, there was a fight going on which was under control because an, an agreement had been signed, but the battlefield was visible, the players were very visible. With money, it's all much more invisible, and it, it is more uh, insidious and more dangerous, I believe, and, and this is something that... Uh, only an historical perspective on the relationship between the church and the threat to its freedom can can really explain. Right. I mean, even just on a practical level, if there was some sort of version of a concordat with the church and a you know some particular apostolate or nonprofit, I mean, it's just a couple forms and paperwork, and you've suddenly got a whole new organization, and that you know everything can just these things can't really be nailed down the way that a you know a state you know has a very clear defined boundaries sure also because as as we know i mean uh, capitalism is by nature promiscuous it will go to uh, in bed with anyone right. that can 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 serve its its purpose so it is more um, there are more fluctuations in what that kind of money wants to make. So I'm not saying that we should 
espouse uh, a primitivist idea of the of the of the church where no one owns anything because this is a fantasy uh, i believe the church needs money to do its mission uh, to help the poor i believe that uh, now we see a, a, a new face uh, of money and it, it's something that we should develop our attention because um, it can really easily get out of hand and it, its influence can really become too big before uh, we realize uh, its impact. Okay, so um, it, if I could, I'll, I'll put on the shoes of the far right wing money money power for a second. Um, what I, I and I know, obviously, not ev- there's certain people that have bad motivations, but there's a lot of people, like we said, that just give money because they think that they're truly doing good and they really want it to do good within the church. Um, do you do you think some of this is, is is sprung up because people see certain members of our our government or the media who claim to be Catholic that are pushing what they believe is uh, anti-Catholicism policies are not really promoting what's going on within the church and they feel kind of helpless to do anything so they throw money or get more passionate about these types of groups do you think that any that has anything to play like it's it's some people's way of feeling like they're doing something to fight back to save save the church in that regard sure i i'm not questioning the uh, their motives i i think there is a frustration uh for the slowness the slow pace of change in, in mm-hmm. the other church or the corruption uh i'm not questioning their intention to do good, I think that the idea that with your money you can change things uh, in society or in the media or in our culture uh, has penetrated uh, the Catholic Church. And so Mm -hmm. I believe it is dangerous because I have the freedom of saying this, I'm not sure that a bishop that needs that money to keep the Catholic school running uh, has the same liberty, and I don't blame him. So this is why using money uh, attached to certain conditions to the Catholic Church is always a distortion. It's immediately a, 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 a distortion that uh, gives to some much more voice than to others. Mm-hmm. And that's a, essentially contrary to the spirit of, of, of the church, where there should be uh, a fundamental equality uh, among all members. If you want, it's the ultimate clericalism. It's not mm-hmm. clericalism of ordination, but it's a kind of different clergy uh, that is is based on on the blessing of money and not of of 
of uh, of the oil of ordination. I, that's that's why I I believe it's not something that I expect uh, uh, the bishops to raise their voices about because they are in in a difficult situation. Right. It should be a but someone else that has more freedom to say this, and. Uh, um, it is just, I, I, I believe, a rising threat, and uh, and uh, it is not less dangerous than the threat of uh, of, of of biopolitics or of uh, totalitarian regimes. It, it it is different, but long term, not less dangerous. Yeah, the yeah. bishops are in such a in, a in unfortunately in such a weak state right now. With how people perceive them that they really can't bring this up because it will look so disingenuous in the eyes of people unfortunately even if it's even if it's not disingenuous so they're kind of stuck in a in a tough place this article that we were referencing refers to it as evangelization through access to capital so i yeah it's kind of what you were saying like it's it's tethered like you can say it's they say it's tethered tethered the tethered to the church through a bishop but have access to capital that the church doesn't so it's kind of use it could be looked at as potentially using bishops as a pawn when you have money to throw things around so yeah it could be it's kind of in a everyone's in a tough spot right now where this can be escalated and used to its advantage yeah also because i mean being bishop uh, uh, being appointed bishop is good but if once you are a bishop, you need a certain kind of money to do things, it's like having a, a double loyalty. And this has been historically very, very dangerous. Uh, so it, it's a kind of double appointment that you need the papal blessing, but at the same time you are, uh, you are answerable to someone else who's not the, uh, the Holy Father. This is particularly distortive of the, of, the, of the mechanisms that should govern the Catholic Church. It makes sense because you could kind of imagine, you know, you have a bishop and he's wanting to keep, you know, on a small scale, he's wanting to keep his school running. And then you have the private donor that steps in and basically says, okay, you know, we'll happily fund your school, but it's important that this curriculum that we've screened and picked out is what's presented to the students or, you know, essentially it's, it's kind of binding his hand with money. Is that what you're talking about? Well, yes. I mean, this is happening already uh, in some Catholic campuses, in some schools of some Catholic campuses, this is happening already. So, so this is not science fiction. Uh, So this is something that uh, he's already having an impact, which has consequences on academic freedom on the freedom of the faculty and of the uh, administration of, 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 of a school of being responsible of what they teach. So this is, it's, it is not on the horizon that is already here. And um, it's not something that is always, always easy to talk in public because uh, there are many years listening to what you you are you are saying catholic schools and big schools are 
always look for donors, for gifts. And so this is quite unpopular. I'm not saying that has... I mean, that money has to go away. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm just saying we should develop a reflection on the consequences of that um, that is m more mindful of the specificity of the Catholic Church, which is not just another organization. Okay, so okay. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap up here. We'll thank you for your time. One last thing, if... If I'm someone looking for looking to give money, and I've been giving money to different organizations, uh, what is some what is some quick advice or some things to look out for? What would you recommend for someone doing this? If you if you kind of had to give them a a plan, would you say just go straight straight to the church, or would you how would you describe going through different organizations probably give to villanova right <laughs> well that would be great so no so i believe that for with all its faults its sins and so on in the institution of the catholic church in the parishes in the bishops in the charities that operate in the local churches and in the religious orders there is still the big, very important center of the Catholic Church, the middle of the road, uh, that is less I ideological, less polarized than what most of us see. So I believe that uh, this is where I would see more investment going because this is the fertile ground that as a Catholic I try to look at and work with, staying away from the extremes. Uh, that that would, 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 would be my advice. Uh, if you want very institutional, very old style, if you want, uh, I believe, I mean, my kids go to a Catholic school. Um, there are a lot of very healthy Catholic institutions that operate, and uh, I believe that there should be a, a little more trust in the common sense and in the faith of those who run these institutions. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on this great podcast. We, we have plenty more, but we'll stop it there. And um, everyone follow Professor Fajoli on Twitter. It's a, it's a great time. Everyone enjoys it. And uh, yeah, thank you, Professor. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your your time for me. Yes, yes thanks oh, for no, joining we, us. We appreciate you. Well, there it is, Zach. There's a interview with the lovely Professor Massimo Fagioli. It was great. Great to have him on. We really appreciated it. He gave us a ton of time, so that was nice yes. of him. I know. I mean, it's that's one of the uh, the cool things about Catholic Twitter and, and Catholics in general is having um is it you know there's these you know college professors and you know canon lawyers and you know ecclesiastics i mean even bishops in the case of bishop um what umbers that yeah. you know they'll they'll give us a sneak preview of what they're doing and their knowledge and you know we don't have to pay a retainer for the canon lawyers or pay tuition to hear from the college professors or um 
I don't know what you do to see a bishop, but we don't have to do that. So uh, it's <laughs> it's pretty cool to, to get to have conversations like this. And I'm interested to hear the feedback because I don't know, like a Venn diagram of, of who sees eye to eye with us on this issue versus, or with me on this issue versus every other issue we talk about would uh, would probably be interesting to look at. Right. Yeah. No, it was good. It was a, it's an, it's very worthwhile discussion to have. And he's, yes. he's was, he seemed like the perfect person to have on to talk about it. So yes, I'm, I'm thankful to Steve Bannon for paying for, for this episode. Yeah, I know. I was, I was just about to say if any, with that being said, if any far right wing money men want to come in and drop a couple million to get this podcast going by all means. Yes. Um, I, I take back all the hateful things I've said about the Koch brothers in private and public. <laughs> if, if you guys will just send us a few thousand dollars right. a week. All right, let's get on to someone who couldn't be bought, the Saints of the Week. Who is it? Saint Simeon of Jerusalem. Oh. Born in Galilee and died in either 107 or 117 AD in Jerusalem. His feast day is February 18th. Uh, he's sometimes identified with Simon, the brother of the Lord, who is mentioned in passing in the Bible, uh, and that re- referring to him as the second bishop of Jerusalem. He has also been identified with the apostle Simon the Zealot. So a lot of uh, a lot of identity things going on with with Saint Simeon. There's not there's not a ton here that I was looking before. He was ex- he was executed. He is a bishop and a martyr. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a ton going on with Saint Simeon, but uh, he is our saint. He is our saint of the week, and I I feel like I haven't done him justice. But but there it is. We're grateful for him. I know. Thanks for all you did and do, Saint Simeon. All right. Well. All right. Sorry, what were you gonna say? I was gonna say, it's, looking at my calendar, we've got Saint Feria coming up. Everyone loves Saint Feria, Virgin and Martyr. Aren't there a bunch of those days? Yeah, it's a joke. It's, okay, it's, it's good. A, it's, a, it's a joke. All right, good. Well, thanks for listening. We'll uh, talk to you all next week. See ya. See ya.